Welcome to the OKC First Church of the Nazarene podcast. At OKC First, we are learning to do three things, friendship with God, friendship with one another, and open friendship for the sake of the world. For more information about OKC First, please visit OKCFirst.com. Wow. I mean, I have a couple of announcements, but I feel like we need to stop and just sit in that moment afforded us by that verse right there, as God says, I will put my breath in you. That's good news. And all God's people said, yeah. So I I need to announce a a little bit of a a personnel change. Um, With great sadness, I am announcing today that part, part of what I get to do here, which is so great, is I get to sit around a table with a bunch of people who are so obviously called into the ministry. And Tamara Hughes is one of those people, just so obviously called into the ministry. And she has been serving so well here uh, as, ex- as executive pastor for a long time. She came to me a-, a while back and said, God's leading me in a different direction. I would like to have the opportunity to stay at home with Hazel more often. But I'm happy to announce that while Tamara is leaving the position of, of executive pastor, she is staying on our staff in a volunteer role as a minister of connections and Christian rituals. That's pretty cool, isn't it? Because she's going to continue to study and move toward her ordination. So it would be a really good time for us right now to acknowledge her service to the church in the role of executive pastor and to affirm what God is doing with her what God is doing with her and for her. (laughs) Oh, that was beautiful. So God continues to lead. She has every uh, she has every intention to stay. She said, I'm gonna be the best volunteer ever, and I said, Yeah, you will. Uh, And she is going to continue in this other role and pursue her ordination and study. She's going to get a graduate degree in theology. God's doing great things with her. Um, Aaron Bowler-Jack is going to kind of shuffle and slide over into that position, possession, position, possession, position. There you go. Into that position, and he's going to do a great job. Uh, he is very detail-oriented, and, and as he and, and Britt have traveled the world and, and done mission and ministry all over the place, Aaron's kind of been the one behind the counter, making sure all the numbers are right and all of that, and Britt's been out front doing whatever it is that Britt does, and so Aaron's just going to apply those skills here, and so we're in very good hands. Thank you, Tamara. Um, have another announcement. This one's... Uh, You're going to like this one, I think, as long as I can get it to work. Okay. Here we go. This, you guys, is a bus. Uh, Now, you perhaps have seen this bus. This bus is the one that is parked right out here. This this bus has uh, a very important story to tell as it has to do with our shared history. This is an old OKC first bus. 1961 bus. And uh, as we're going to ask the question today, can these bones live? I'm going to start by asking a little different question. Can this bus live? (laughs) So listen to this. 
So we found this bus. By the way, if you're an Instagram sort of person, we've named the bus Ed for reasons that will become apparent here in a second. But we'd like for you to follow this bus on Instagram, at Ed the bus. And here's what we're going to try to do, and I love that. Do you see that? There's a sign in the bus, painted in the bus, that says, this is your new bus. It will stay new if you keep it new. <laughs> this bus seats about 35 or so. And Kids Club right now is a little bit limited because we only have so many seat belts. We only have so many, so many places to put kids and we're already making a couple of trips in order to have a, a critical mass for Kids Club. This will effectively double and maybe triple the size of Kids Club, assuming we can also then get the help to help us with, with all of those kids. But we are going to actually bring this bus back to life. Little bit at a time, we're gonna bring this bus back to life. As a matter of fact, we're gonna get some really good help from this guy right here. Now, some of you may readily recognize this man. This is Ed Neuenschwander, the head of the physics department over at SNU, an old car truck bus enthusiast. So not too long ago, he came to me and said, Pastor, this is how I'm gonna do it. This is gonna how I'm gonna make my contribution to the church. I'm gonna get that bus running. So cool when somebody with the knowledge and know-how and the passion sees a deathly situation and wants to bring it to life. And all God's people said, this sermon's going to preach itself, y'all. It's going to preach itself. And we are here today because some of us are those people of passion ready to, to give ourselves in service to all these other situations around us that are perhaps dead or deathly at the very least. But we're also here today because some of us dragged in here with us today bones that are dry. It's okay, we're all those kinds of people today. We are the dry bones people and we're also the people who understand that God does something really good with dry bones. And we have this conversation during Lent. And again, let's go over this again. During Lent, we have for years and years and years used that cross and we have tacked some symbols to it and we will continue to do that. It's the right thing. We're gonna have that cross in years to come. We're gonna have it front and center. But this year, we decided to have, rather than a cross, we decided to have a crucifix. Crucifix is probably more understood in the Catholic tradition. But I, here's the thing. Here's what I like about a crucifix. It keeps in front of us the anguish of the cross. And I think it's really important every once in a while to make sure that we are keeping in front of us the anguish of the cross. Because without the anguish of the cross, I'm pretty sure that we have the tendency to underappreciate the extent to which God went to make God's point that has to do with love and grace. Pretty cross is great, but it's not gory. Maybe every once in a while we need a gory cross so that we can say, wow, this is how far God went. And so I asked my friend Cody to paint this for us, and we're going to keep it here kind of front and center. And I said this to you early on in this series. There was this movie a while back now, several years ago now, The Passion of the Cross. And, and that movie was for me so difficult, so challenging, that I admitted to you that at times I turned away because that's how ugly it was. That's how ugly it was. But when we look away, when we look away, 
Not only do we under-respect how far love went to make love's point, but I think we look away also because somewhere down deep we suspect that we are kind of like the people who did this to this man. And so I have said to you during this Lenten season, yes, 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 we are going to continue to look at ourselves and look at Jesus and confess the difference in the hopes, in the hopes of closing the gap. But I've also said to you, perhaps you should look at yourself and Judas Iscariot and confess the similarities. Look at yourself, look at Caiaphas, the high priest, frightened, Caiaphas, responsible for all these other people. Look at yourself and Caiaphas and ask yourself, would you have been that different? I asked you to look at yourself and look at Pilate and see if, like Pilate, you find yourself intoxicated by the wrong definitions of power such that you could make a decision perhaps similar to the one that Pilate made. Yep, we're confessing the difference between us and Jesus, not just so we can just confess the difference, but so that we can close the gap. And I want you to confess the similarities between you, Judas Iscariot, Caiaphas, Pilate, me and Judas Iscariot, Caiaphas and Pilate, and Simon Peter. Confess those similarities. Confess those similarities so that we can move from them toward Christ-likeness. Yeah, Simon Peter, and this is the, the, the person who played this particular role in this same movie. And Simon Peter, we know this, we know this, Simon Peter's sin was that he denied Christ. Man, I don't know, I, I, I almost showed this to you, but it was almost too much. There was, this, there was this scene in the movie, and in the way that the movie depicts it, the three times that, that Simon Peter denied Christ was kind of right there in the same general vicinity where Jesus was being beaten by Roman soldiers. And so someone would grab Simon Peter and say, hey, you have been, and he would deny. No, that wasn't me, you, you got the wrong person. Then somebody else grabbed him. Said, no, 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 I think I've seen him. And now he gets a little bit more forceful, maybe even violent, and pushes somebody away and says, no, I was not with this man. And then it was a little girl who grabs him and says, I've seen you before. I've seen you with this guy before. And now he just sort of loses it and completely and thoroughly and loudly denies Christ. And at that moment, a battered and beaten Christ, now it's just great cinematography, right? A beaten and a battered Christ falls and in the process of falling, locks eyes with Peter, and it's almost too much to take. Peter seems to fall down, buckling underneath the weight of his denial. Simon Peter was in great despair. I want to be very, very careful. To be in despair that in and of itself is not sinful. Everybody hearing me? Christians can suffer seasons of despair. And sometimes those wounds are self-inflicted. We've all seen that. And sometimes they're not. And when Christians are in despair, we need to be very careful to say, this is not sin. 
you being in despair, in the, the depths of despair, this in and of itself is not sinful. And I tell you, this is a reason why we have to say that because there are some faith traditions that might kind of indicate that. They might insinuate that if you're doing the right thing for the right reason, if you're following Jesus, every day ends with you with a smile. Every day is sunny. There's no rain. If you do Christianity just right, that's a lie. That's a lie. Because you know what life is? Life is life. And it will, at times, cause you to experience seasons, seasons, seasons of despair. The despair is not the sin. It's the denial. Christians can find themselves in seasons of despair for a variety of reasons, and I'm just going to name a few. This is not an exhaustive list. Tragedy. Drunk driver. Through no fault of your own. Tragedy strikes. Cancer. And believing people can suffer seasons of despair when stuff like that, the stuff of life, happens. I've also seen Christians in despair when faith doesn't go fast enough or far enough. You ever seen that? I have. I've been on this end of those conversations when someone has said this to me. Why aren't we doing this or this or this or this? And here's the thing. They're right. We'd love to be doing this, this, and that. But because we're not, they leave. And you can kind of see it in their faces sometimes. Sometimes people leave not just disappointed in faith, in church. Have you ever known anybody to be disappointed in faith or in church? Hopefully you're paying attention because they're out there. Sometimes it's not just disappointment. You can almost sense the despair in it. Why isn't faith more relevant to my life circumstances? And they go, So they go and perhaps are suffering a season of despair because faith isn't doing more, going farther, faster. And sometimes people are in despair, Christian, good Christian people, when faith is not familiar anymore. When the church is not familiar anymore. When the songs are not familiar anymore. And look around and the people aren't as familiar to me anymore. There is a sense of homesickness, and I have heard it, I have listened, some people experience it as utter loss, and I'm telling you, I can hear it. There is despair, and hear me say this, that is not sinful. None of the above is sinful. I hear it. What are you doing in that valley of dry bones? Despair is a reality, and if it's not, kind of like the weather, just wait. What are you doing? The people of Israel recently, where the book of Ezekiel is concerned, the people of Israel have been wiped out. The Babylonian conquest was now complete. Jerusalem was shambles. The temple disappeared. (laughs) 
the wall around the city completely gone. All of the great folks, the good folks, even the average folks have been ripped up and transplanted, ripped out of their homes and taken all the way to the kingdom of Babylon. And Ezekiel finds himself, he and his family were here right here by the river Kabar. But here is a great contribution, a very important contribution that the book of Ezekiel makes to our understanding and our Christian imagination. You see, the people of Israel rightly understood that they were somehow to blame, somehow to blame for the exile. They had disobeyed. They were not the kinds of people that God had dreamed for them to be. And so, slowly but surely, you've heard us say this, they kind of wandered into oncoming traffic in the form of Nebuchadnezzar and the Babylonian Empire. And sure enough, sure enough, their disobedience, their wandering eyes caused them to be exiled. And since they understood their culpability, they went into exile believing that they were completely severed, separated from God. In their heads and in their minds, God lives in the homeland. God lives in Jerusalem, the city of David. God lives in the temple. Obviously, we built God this box. God must live in the temple. And now, separated from all of that, the city in ruins, the temple in ruins, the expectation on this side of this river in exile, the expectation is God's nowhere to be found. So it may not hit you like it hit them, but this was more than a ton of bricks. This was a ton, a ton, a ton of bricks when Ezekiel says, in the 30th year, in the fourth month, on the fifth day of the month, I was among the exiles by the river Kabar, and the heavens were opened, and I saw visions of God. Oh, Y'all, in exile. Now, you're not super excited about that, but <clears throat> I'm going to try again. Turns out, and this was Ezekiel's huge and major contribution to the imagination of faith. Ready for it? God's everywhere. even in exile. There's nowhere God isn't, even in exile. That is still a challenging point for many believers even today who insist on there being this sacred secular divide. And they will train folks up to stay within the sacred and to avoid at all costs the secular. Here's the only problem with that. It's not true. Does anyone want to argue that there's somewhere that God isn't? God is even in exile. Now, sometimes the people of God, and it's not new, we have this tendency to live like this and then claim that we can't see God. All right, now, think with me here. Some people have a tendency to live like this and then say that God can't be found. If you're listening in, I've got my hands over my eyes. I'm choosing blindness. But in my moment of blindness, I'm saying, nope, God's nowhere to be found, see? 
So Ezekiel comes along and says, hey, people of God, in exile, all of you, all of you doing this, and that's all of you. God can be found. God is around. And you would think that chapter one would be enough, but as it turns out, they didn't get it after chapter one. In fact, by the time we get all the way to chapter 37, they're still struggling with it. And Ezekiel is struggling with it. This man who is to be the mouthpiece of God, this vessel, this tool in God's hands, sees that the people aren't seeing And so God arms Ezekiel with the message that reaches all the way to Oklahoma City in April of 2017. The hand of the Lord came upon me and he brought me out by the spirit of the Lord and set me down in the middle of a valley. It was full. It was full of bones. All kinds of bones. In fact, so many bones, you get the impression that perhaps this was a battlefield. A battlefield, and in losing the battle, you suffer the the worst sort of humiliation and embarrassment when not only did you lose the battle, but we're going to so thoroughly defeat you and dominate you, we're not even going to let you go get your dead. They're going to be left out there to be picked over, the ultimate in humiliation, the ultimate in death. Defeat, domination. These bones weren't just dead. They were way dead. (laughs) Way, way, way dead. There was such an ethos of death here that the bones were no longer organized according to persons They were just scattered everywhere. So not only were they dry, they were scattered, and there was a hopelessness, there was a finality to it, there was a fatality to it. And God takes Ezekiel, he says, hey, take a look at this. What do you think? Can these bones live? Ezekiel has a very good response. You see his response there. In Ezekiel chapter 37, Ezekiel's response is, you know better than me. Can these bones live? I can't do anything with them, says Ezekiel. You know better than me. Can these bones live? I answered, oh, Lord God. Whew, doesn't look like it but you know for sure whether or not these bones live. Keep reading. There is this ongoing conversation. God says to Ezekiel, all right, let's get these bones organized. And so they get the bones organized and the skeletons kind of come together for lack of a better term. And then actually you get all the way to the point where there is flesh that covers all of these bones. So not only do you have Bones that are now organized, but now you have sinews and tissue and muscle. But here's what you don't have. You don't have life. You have structure. You have some organization, but you don't yet have life because at the end of the day, it wasn't the structure and the organization that provides the life. Man, I know a few folks 
who try to live their Christian life, they try really hard to live their Christian life, and they give themselves to the organization and to the structure, and sometimes they give themselves to the organization and the structure, but not to what makes life live. I don't know if you've seen it, but I've seen it. I've watched as good folks, religious folks, get increasingly disenchanted, increasingly disappointed, increasingly frustrated. Sometimes it's because they lack what these bodies still lack. There's nothing wrong with the organization. There's nothing wrong with the structure. I mean, it's a good thing to get these bones finally organized. It's a good thing to put some skin and some flesh and some sinew and some some muscle on all of these bones. That's a good thing. But it's not what makes it live. And your life of faith doesn't live just because you're committed to it. Your life of faith doesn't live just because you're well organized as a believer. Your life doesn't live at all until... God breathes in you. Verse seven, so I prophesied as I had been commanded and as I prophesied, suddenly there was a noise, here they are getting organized and a rattling and the bones came together, bone to its bone and I looked and there were sinews on them and flesh had come upon them and skin had covered them but there was no breath in them. Then God said, prophesy to the breath, call for it. And by the way, there's a very cool thing going on here in the original language. This Hebrew word, ruach, it's probably a good time for you to practice saying that right now. Ruach, say it, here we go. Very good. It's the same word, it's used in three different ways in this passage even. It means breath, it means wind, and it means spirit. All the same. Prophesy to the breath, prophesy mortal, and say to the breath, Thus says the Lord God, Come from the four winds, O breath, and breathe upon these slain, that they may live. I prophesied as he commanded me, and the breath came into them, and they lived and stood on their feet, a vast multitude. And then he said to me, Mortal, these bones are the whole house of Israel. These bones are really not the folks who who died in battle. That is tragic in and of itself. But these bones, these are the bones of all the people who are left, who are in such deep, deep, deep despair that they are kind of like these bones in the valley because they are dry and dusty and going nowhere without the wind and the breath and the Spirit of God. They say, our bones are dried up, our hope is lost, we are cut off completely. Ezekiel, go and tell these people, God says. Ezekiel, go tell my people, God says. Go tell my people that there's no such thing as a hopeless situation. Go tell my people that there's no such place as a completely God-forsaken place. Ezekiel, tell my people, again, remind my people. God says, 
then it's always had more to do with me and my breath than them and their bones. God says, I will put my spirit within you and you shall live and I will place you on your own soil and then you shall know that I, the Lord, have spoken and will act, says the Lord. I don't know if you need a verse for this season of life, but if you do, that's a good one. I mean, hear this. Folks who perhaps dragged a bag of dry bones in here. I will put my spirit within you, says God, and you shall live. And I will place you on your own soil, then you shall know that I, the Lord, have spoken and will act, says the Lord. So Simon Peter denies Christ. I love this about this particular year and this particular season of Lent. Lent can be a very dark season, and in some sense, it's supposed to be darker because it is that time of year that we look at ourselves and we look at this Jesus character and we confess the difference and we ache because there's a difference. But we're never left there in any of these passages of Scripture. The other passage of Scripture that I could have preached to you today comes out of John 11, where Jesus does, you know, something very similar. Lazarus is dead, not just kind of dead, but really, really several days dead. And somehow Jesus is able to call him out of his deathly place. Folks, God still has the capacity to call you out of your deathly places. Here's the nightmare. You can refuse it. Don't. I know some of these stories in the room. I know that there are deathly situations. I know that there are whole valleys of dry bones out there. But here's the thing. The breath of God has always been pretty good at reorganizing and reanimating life. Always, always, always. Can you think of these times? Creation's a good one. Valley dry bones, another pretty good one. But this is one of my favorites. And the Spirit of God blows into a deathly situation, one in which Simon Peter, who was really one of the core, one of the central figures of faith, he denied Christ three times. How many times have you denied Christ? But... The story of the wind, breath, spirit of God does not end there. And the wind, breath, spirit of God goes looking for Simon Peter. Mary Magdalene shows up to the tomb in Mark 16. There's a young man dressed in white there who has a message for Mary Magdalene from Jesus. It says, hey, I'm going to meet you guys in Galilee and go tell my disciples and Peter. I love that he is listed specifically and intentionally right there in Mark chapter 16. Go tell the disciples and Peter to screw up three times, one night. Go get him. 
Now, if we weave these gospel stories together, you could make the case that even then, Simon Peter wasn't quite sold, that he was welcomed back. Because in the book of John, you have this great rumor, this huge rumor. In fact, Simon Peter himself in chapter 20 is said to have run all the way to the tomb, barreling inside to see the grave, the grave closed, just lying there. And yet what we have in chapter 21 is not Simon Peter going and finding Jesus and reuniting with him. We have Simon Peter saying, I'm the guy with the self-inflicted valley of dry bones. I'm going to go fish. And then there's the shadowy figure on the seashore. Have you caught any fish? Not knowing it was Jesus, he's like, uh, no, I'm just trying to be by myself, thanks. It's boat and there are nets, probably not trying to catch any fish. Well, you know, if you just throw that net on the other side of the boat, Idiot on the seashore won't leave me alone until I put the net on the other side of the boat, y'all. And so he throws the net on the other side of the boat only to have the fish willingly jump into the net then. That seems to be when Simon Peter recognizes that this isn't just a shadowy figure on the shore. It's the one that he had denied three times. Come to look for him. So Simon Peter jumps in the water, swims to shore. The disciples pull that net full of fish to shore. Jesus takes, this is important, Jesus takes some of these fish, and according to Scripture, Jesus prepares breakfast for Peter. Which, in a Jewish way of thinking, is a very good way to say, all is forgiven. You belong with me. I acknowledge that something happened here, and I want you anyway. So not only in Mark 16 do we have go tell the disciples and Peter, but in John 21 we have Jesus coming full circle and saying to Simon Peter, not only is everything forgiven, but Jesus calls Simon Peter to ministry again. Feed my lambs, take care of my lambs, feed my sheep. Being in despair is not a sin. It's not. Being depressed is not a sin. Being in the midst of a valley of dry bones, for whatever reason, whether it's, whether it's tragedy, the cumulative effect of a hard life, perhaps terrible decisions, frustration with how little religion or faith is actually getting done, frustration, frustration because you feel like everything is changing and you look around and you're absolutely homesick because everything's different. None of this is sinful, none of this is sin. But I do have a question for you, regardless of the nature of your valley of dry bones. 
Are you cultivating an awareness of the God who is everywhere? said this to a dear friend not too long ago. Christianity that starts with a moment of salvation, a decision, but then when that decision is not surrounded by spiritual formation, hear this, I am super happy that so many of us have a story in which we can locate a time and a place when we made the decision to be redeemed. I love that. But if that decision is not surrounded by spiritual formation, the work of staying oriented to the Spirit, you may have a memory but not a life. You may have a story, but not a trajectory. And man, when you're in the valley of dry bones, whether it's a valley of your own making or through no fault of your own, if you find yourself in the valley of dry bones, the good news is God is on the way because that's what God does. The bad news is you might miss it because you're looking for something else over there. Between the decision to be redeemed and Christ-likeness, it's not just a to-do list companionship. It's a walking alongside. But you have to show up. Yes, God always does more of the work than you do. But you have to show up. And taking part, taking part is the means whereby, and here's a word, is the means whereby God, given the opportunity, sanctifies us. Are you allowing God to sanctify you? Nope, 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 nope. I'm not going to be happy until we get back to Jerusalem. You might be opting out on the new thing that God is doing by God's presence and spirit. Nope, 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 I'm not going to be happy until we're doing a whole lot more than what we're doing. You might be opting out. might be opting out on the God who moves with us. Your despair is not sinful, but it is a magnificent opportunity to be reoriented to the presence and the wind, and the breath, and the Spirit of God. If you're helping us today, please come and help us organize the table. <clears throat> the table which is for us a weekly reminder that God is on the way, that God is always in the process of arriving, 
redeeming, restoring, helping, nourishing. I hope each and every week that we do this, I hope that you sense that there is a real sense in which God is using these moments to do what we've talked about today, to reach you, even if you find yourself in a valley of dry bones, that God is using these moments to move you toward Christ-likeness. Heavenly Father, bless these elements. Bless these elements, a little bit of bread and a little bit of the cup. And with them, God, orient us, remind us, fuel and fund our imaginations. Help us to know that there are no such places as God-forsaken places. Help us to know as we hold these symbols that we described rightly, that we describe as broken body and shed blood. Help us to know that even in those moments, Christ demonstrates Christ's love for us, that God demonstrates how far God will go to make love's point. In a moment, I'm gonna ask you to stand to your feet, to exit your pew to the left, and then to come forward towards someone holding a plate of bread. As you get closer, make sure that your hands are cupped so you can receive this gift of grace that can't be gotten in any other way. When you get close enough, that person holding the bread will take a piece, press it into your hands and say, this is the body of Christ broken for you. Don't eat it just yet. Take that little piece of bread and dip it into the cup. Someone standing nearby will be holding a cup. When you do, that person will say, and this is the blood of Christ shed for you. And then take and eat. And then find a place to pray. If you are in need of healing, these two side padded altars are reserved for you. A prayer for healing of any kind. Perhaps you need physical healing, but perhaps it's more mental or emotional. Perhaps it's relational. Someone will meet you at that altar, pray this prayer for you and anoint you with oil, communicating the sticky presence of God, the sticky presence of the Spirit of God. If you have a different kind of prayer to pray, these mourner's benches, these wooden benches here are always available to you. All kinds of prayers are welcome here. But you'll notice that somebody at some point will touch you on the back of the head, the neck, the shoulder to help you to know to communicate that you are not alone as you pray. Also, if you're new, you'll notice that there is a little stand here, and in this stand, there's a little silver bowl that's got some water in it. This is a moment that will allow you to remember your baptism. All you have to do is come and just sort of dip your fingers into this water to remember that moment when it was made public that you were claimed by God as a part of the family. Here at OKC First, all are welcome at this table. If you are aware of your need for grace, no matter the nature of the, the valley of dry bones that you're in, no matter what you dragged in here with you today, you are welcome here, so long as you understand that you, like me, are desperately in need of grace. If you can't come to us, 
Jason and Katie are coming to you. It was on the night he was betrayed that our Savior took bread, he blessed it, and he broke it, and he gave it to his disciples saying, this is my body now broken for you. And every time you eat of it, remember me. The same way after dinner he took the cup, he held it up before them and said, and this is my blood, the blood of a new covenant now poured out for you. And every time you drink it, remember me. If you find yourself in the valley of dry bones today, it's a great time to eat and drink around this table. And now all around the sanctuary, if you would, stand to your feet. Exit your pew to the left. Come forward with your hands cupped. The gifts of God meant for the people of God. Find a place to pray and we will come and pray with you. Written in my Savior 
who sense their bones to be dry in a final sort of way. Brace yourself. God is inhaling. Father, we confess that we are at times dry and dry for all kinds of reasons. Father, we confess that we need to do what we need to do to cultivate an awareness of your ever being present, of your ever being accessible your ever being available. Help us to know what to do. Guide us to people who seem to have some idea of how to cultivate an awareness of your presence. Lead us back to scripture. Lead us back to our knees. Give us opportunities to serve. Give us opportunities to be in conversation with folks who can help us to ask these questions, perhaps people who are asking the same questions. But God, help us to do what we need to do to be more aware of your breath, your wind, your spirit. At the same time, Lord, help us to be the means whereby people can be aware of your movement, of your spirit, of your kindness, of your graciousness. Remind us as often as need be of the story of the pursuit and then the re-pursuit of Simon Peter. How it is that we read in scripture that Christ tracked him down and then tracked him down again. And may that be just enough life and hope that even this season, even this valley, is somehow survivable. And now hear us, Lord, as we pray for one another. In these moments of prayers of intercession, as you think and envision in your mind that valley of dry bones, no doubt there's a person or a situation in our nation or a situation in the world that may come to your mind. It can be a friend, a neighbor, a family member, but no doubt there's something or someone you can picture that needs the breath of God to bring life and healing and wholeness. So as that person or that situation comes to your mind, would you bring that to God in intercession in these next few moments of prayer?
one of our Lenten practices has been to spend about one minute in silence before we pray the Lord's Prayer and I, the baby cries and the coughs and the creaks of the door, all a part of that. But would you listen to God? And would you quiet your heart? And even as Brandon closes us in these moments with not even a plucking of a guitar, would you listen to God's voice in your life as we are quiet before him? Let's close these moments in prayer with the Lord's Prayer. And this morning we'll use debts and debtors. And that prayer should be in front of you if you're unfamiliar with the prayer at this time. Let's close as we pray together. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen.